You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives, and the passion of bartending. This week, we caught up with the one and only Steve Schneider, who chats with us about the world-famous Employees Only, as well as opening in Panama and being part of the very first Singapore Cocktail Festival. With this podcast, we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the greats really became the greats. So sit back and enjoy. Hi, this is Steve Schneider, principal bartender and partner. Employees only New York, Singapore. What else am I? Hold on. Um, (laughs) One half of the odd couple, partner at the Strangers Club in Panama, partner at the Elysian Cafe in Hoboken. Uh, The list goes on and on, but uh, overall, really happy to be here. Thank you very much for finding the time uh, to see us here uh, in beautiful Singapore. So, uh, how is everything going for you, man? Everything's been going perfect, I guess. So, you know, um, I've been in Singapore now about three years, but I'm mainly based in New York City these days. Mm-hmm. But I come out to Asia because I also have business now in Shanghai. So I'll come out to Asia every couple months. I'll come here for a, for a month or so. And I really enjoy myself this time around. You had asked me three years ago, it was the hardest, hardest you know, thing I've ever done in my life. So I'm really proud and happy to be here and to be enjoying myself in this beautiful country. So let's uh, walk back a little bit and see how you became uh, who you are right now. We all know you from Employees Only. That was probably your first venture that really threw you out there, I think. Uh, And also like you, this movie you did, but we'll get there at some point. But tell us a little bit, how did you get into bartending and like, how did you, how did your career start? What was the first job you had well wow let's go all the way back to 2001 Mm -hmm. i'm from bergen county in jersey which is like right over the river of new york city and it was my last year of high school and this was september 11th happened and yeah the planes hit the buildings and i didn't know what i wanted to do with life school wasn't for me i was class clown you know what i mean Uh, (laughs) and uh i was always fucking around you know um, can I swear on this? Oh yeah. yeah okay, okay, okay. Because <laughs> I was about to say I'm a I'm, I'm rated R over here. So. <laughs> you like yeah, I'm, I'm trying to hold back. You know, it's uh, you can see I'm on the edge of my seat here. But now that I know I can relax, I feel better. So September 11th came, and that kind of hit New York quite hard. You know, it hit my area quite hard. So I enlisted in the United States Marines, mm-hmm. and I was always an athlete growing up, a comedian, you name it. Uh, I I dabbled in a lot of stuff. I taught myself how to play guitar. I was like always doing stuff, you know, always outside. I had many different groups of friends. I had my like my one crew, but I got along with everybody. And I'd always like to just make people laugh and entertain people. So this was the first time in my life I got really serious. And it was, uh, I went off to the military and I did really, really well. I was graduated top of my class, meritoriously promoted several ranks. You know, I got, I was a rank that you usually get in two years in the Marines. I got it in six months. You know, okay. I really focused, was in great shape mentally and physically. And then before I was uh, set to be shipped off, I had an accident, an injury. And I don't really want to go into the details. It's highly documented out there. But the point is, um, I had to get brain surgery. I fell into a coma and um, kind of ruined my, my military career. So this is around, uh, you know, early 2000s. And... You know, I was like top of my class doing what I was doing in the Marines, but then I was, you know, I finished my enlistment when brain rehabilitation, um, handing out towels and passing out basketballs in a gym on base. So it wasn't necessarily what I signed up for. Mm. I wanted to be a career, you know, U.S. Marine. 
Uh, I wanted to do it for 30 years and graduate early or, or retire early. But it, it, it didn't happen. I, I failed. I, I, I screwed up. And um, During this time when I was healing, I had an, had an extra bit of time just to like go to my, my medical appointments and stuff like that. So I didn't need all that time for medical appointments. So I took a bartending job in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. It was a sign saying help wanted. This was like a dirty dive bar, live music venue. Right in Georgetown, Washington, D.C. And I'm like, hell, I got the time. So, uh, you know, I knew how to make a rum and coke. And uh, that really, it really changed my life in a good way. Because I was miserable, man. I'm passing out towels in a gym, you know. Mm -hmm. So being at the bar was a nice getaway. And it was like 18 beers on tap, disco shots. This is before Red Bull was in the United States, you know. like (laughs) OMG. Yeah, before, before all this stuff, you know. So it was like, I think that actually helped me. You know what, it was the first thing that made me happy was actually being behind the bar. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, maybe just, I, I could be fabricating this, but I honestly think it, it helped me improve my skills because my, my, my motor skills and uh, my memory and stuff. But now I had to remember, you know, shooter recipes. I had to remember prices. We didn't have a, you know, POS system there. Yeah. It was, you write, you write <laughs> shit down with your hand. <laughs> and no credit cards, all cash. So you had to be on it, you know? Yeah. And I remember the guy I worked for, um, it was like, I stepped behind the bar and I, I, I started as a bar back cleaning up puke and toilet, like, you know, cleaning toilets and beating up Georgetown kids. Like that was my, that was my job. And I quickly became a bartender because we would play poker after our shift. This okay. is back when like Texas Hold'em was on ESPN, you know, it was okay, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, yeah. big thing. Yeah. yeah, it was a big thing. So, um, <laughs> so we would sometimes play, sometimes I would leave with nothing, no money. And sometimes I'd, I'd make triple of uh, what I'd make that night, you know? But the point is, we were playing, uh, our chips were the, the little straws, you know? Oh, no <laughs> the little stir straws. That's so cool. And uh, so eventually, like, you know, we would, we would get a little bit drunk after the shift playing poker and stuff. And then uh, they'd say, hey, Steve, you know, give me a gin and tonic, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Because I was the youngest one. Uh-huh. You know? So I would go there and I would make everybody drinks. And eventually, when we got busy, they'd be like, Steve, hop behind the bar. We need your help. And it's, it's just vodka sodas, gin and tonics, uh, uh-huh. whatever the hell, you know, easy stuff. But it was about moving and hustling and uh, filling the cash register. And that's how I came up. And I finally got discharged from the military. And I didn't want to go back to school. Hell no. It wasn't going to happen. So I entered uh, this speed bartending competition down in D.C. It was a charity-based competition. There's like three different rounds, like speed and accuracy, free pouring and stuff. And uh, I won several times. And I made a lot of money. Got myself out of debt. That's another problem I had. As a, as a young kid, uh, credit card debt, <laughs> you know. So I was able to pay off a lot of bills. And, you know, I remember I bought a car, cash, you know. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yep. And, uh, you know, this was great. I was like, oh, man, I'm making money now doing, doing this stuff. It's fun. I'm feeling better. Um, I was definitely one of the most popular guys on base, too, because all the, the, the Marines would come in and they would, you know, they had a friend who was a bartender now. And, you know, the Marines love to drink, you know, oh, and party. So, <laughs> so I was a good ally for everybody. But, um it was shortly after this where I, I met a gentleman who was from the D.C. area but worked out of Las Vegas. His name was John Hogan, and he did a lot of consulting. And he met me at this competition, and he offered me just to, to kind of work with him. He was consulting on a project in D.C. I worked with him very briefly, but he did flair. He did fresh ingredients. He did... Uh, you know, mo- molecular stuff back when it was like super cool, like, uh, you know, like the, the spherification with yeah, the, with the olives and, stuff, and the foams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was the first little like um, 
It wasn't just making like shitty disco shots. I was making at least drinks with fresh ingredients and uh-huh, stuff. Uh-huh. And I looked at him and said, oh, he's doing this for, for a living. Maybe I can kind of get on board, you know? And uh, of course, at the old dive bar I worked at, I was like, I could run this place better than the, the people running it already, you know? Like, <laughs> especially after, you know, all we've been doing, I told you a lot of after hours uh-huh, stories uh-huh. and stuff. I'm like, these guys, they're a bunch of jabronis. Like, I can, <laughs> I can do it a hundred times better. So that, I, I wanted my own place eventually, and, and like I wanted to make a career out of this thing. And I found someone that actually made a career out of it. So I, I absorbed as much as I could from them. But this was down in Washington, D.C. area where I was stationed. Uh, when I got out, though, I, uh, I decided I wanted to come back home. Okay. Um, my, my best friend's mother had, uh, had uh, terminal illness. She had cancer. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of wanted to be there, you know. So... I went back home, took the first job I can get at a fine dining restaurant. I was uh, in my early 20s at this point. I'd been bartending for several years. Uh, I was chewing tobacco behind the bar in my first bar, spitting on the floor, right? If I could kick my own ass, I would, you know, like (laughs) I would go back in time and kick my own ass. But I I didn't fit in fine dining, not at all. Okay. So in about three months, they, they shipped me to their sister restaurant. Okay. This was in Hoboken, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So it's right on the water. It's the birthplace of baseball and the birthplace of Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned a lot, though, at the fine dining restaurant, mainly um, attention to detail. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You've, you've worked in, in these situations yeah. where, you know, the, the spoon uh, has to be where the spoon's supposed to be. And if it's off center a little bit, you're fucked. You know, you got to like constantly be on. And in the military, attention to detail is big, too. So I think if I would have stuck with it, if I was a little bit older, I would have crushed fine dining. But at the moment, the time and place, it wasn't it, for me. It wasn't your thing. But you were also coming from dive bars. And I think that, you know, people tend to overlook dive bars. But I think it's such an important part of what a bartender is supposed to be. Because as you said, you know, you need to be switched on, man. You need to be on it and you need to do... Yeah, and yeah. you have to have an edge and an attitude. You know, you mm-hmm. can't take shit from people in the dive bar because they're there to get wasted, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be a very aggressive atmosphere. And uh, that's just the nature of the beast. And you got to be able to handle it and manage uh-huh. it. But uh, I got shipped off to the more casual, like upscale kind of uh, neighborhood, like bar, restaurant. And this place is called the Elysian Cafe. And yeah, this was about probably 13 years ago now. So I've been bartending for about three years at this point. Mm -hmm. So I worked at the Elysian Cafe and I was, you know, making my own ginger beer and stuff. And nobody was doing that stuff at the time. Um, Did you get a couple of bottles to explode? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I did. Of course (laughs) I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, man. But the point is, I, I had the passion for it, and I just wanted to do something that was a bit unique, and I wanted to have fun with it. I still wanted my own place, but I didn't, I didn't really know where to go and how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was just uh, loads of talent, but no real uh, mentorship, I guess. Just kind of doing my thing and learning as I go. And, uh, you know, the internet wasn't very as popular as, as, as it was now. Couldn't find anything. Actually, I, uh, I attribute a lot of my, uh, my research to Jeffrey Morgenthaler. Uh-huh, JeffMorganThor.com and damn it, I'm, he's one of my dear friends, and I, I hate I hate giving him credit Great over break. any kind of uh, <laughs> and over any kind of uh, you know public thing here. But I got I got to tip my cap to Jeff Morganthor. I think he's uh, he's one of the greatest uh, that ever sat behind a bar in our industry. So, um, you know, I was just doing my thing for a few years there, and then I met this gentleman. His name was Anthony. Anthony used to work with the current owner of this place I was working, right? Mm-hmm. And he was a wine writer. And he came to the owner, Eugene, right? And he's like, Eugene, I'm looking for somebody to make a cocktail for my wife's 40th birthday. You know anybody? And Eugene's like, oh, you got to talk to Steve. He's the guy. So we hit it off right away. 
I made this cocktail for his wife's 40th birthday, and this is where I also met Jim Meehan at this point as well. Do you remember what cocktail it was? It was it, it. I don't remember exactly, but it had uh, it had Campari and gin and pomegranate, which was like the ingredient it was back the in thing. The, yeah, the, yeah the pomegranate thing, yeah. and yeah, 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 <laughs> in the in the in the early mid two thousands. That it was the. Uh, the kale of our of of yeah 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 the acai berry of the, of the time you know so uh, Jim Meehan was there and Anthony and Jim they were the editors of Mr Boston's cocktail guide which is like a I don't know they had seventy five different editions throughout the years it's the little red book Mr Boston's guide and he's like I want to put your recipe in the book uh, I'm going to give you credit this and that and I was a friend, I was blown away you know I was twenty three year old you know twenty to whatever the hell I was at the time. Because, like, and nobody wrote about bartenders at this time. You know, you go, you search whatever bartender, maybe Dale DeGroff is the only person who'd been written about at this mm -hmm. time. And I'm all of a sudden, like, you know, a contributor to this book. So the book is about to come out, and it's this massive event in New York City, right? Me growing up in the shadows of New York City, that was my goal. I was like, man, I want to be a New York City bartender. Uh, I didn't know what the hell it was, though. And, um, this big event is the New York City Wine and Food Festival, sponsored by the Food Network, and it was like a 700-person party at this place called the Highline Ballroom, which is no longer open. And Anthony asked me, he's like, hey, I need somebody to create a cocktail for, for all these guys. Would you like to do it for me? He's like, there's no pay, but uh, it's a good way to network. And uh, I was like, yeah, sure. So I get the email, and it says, welcome mixologist, right? And on the top of the list was Tony Abuganum, Audrey Saunders, Julie Reiner, Dushan Zarek, Jay Cosmos. Jim Meehan and Steve Schneider. And I'm like, what the fuck is Steve Schneider doing there? You know, I called Anthony. I'm like, bro, um, what are you trying to do to uh, me, are man? You, sure? you know, yeah, yeah. are you sure you want me, man? And he's like, yeah, I'll get somebody else if you want. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. I got this. So we had about a month before the event, and I'm like trying to make my own sweet vermouth at the time. It wasn't even vermouth looking back on it, but I was, in, you know, <laughs> then I was infusing things like strawberry infused sweet vermouth, homemade. This, like, I was going crazy. And I made some kind of drink with gin and strawberries, vermouth, champagne and stuff. And it was like eight ingredients, you know, I was just way over the top, you know. But the party was awesome. And I shared a bar with the guys from Employees Only. Mm -hmm. And they brought the whole team, um, everybody. The, everyone who that wasn't working on Employees Only that night was at this event. And they were all young, you know. And they were partying hard. And we had people dancing on the bar, you know. I lit a couple things on fire. And I don't know, we just, things got out of control. Things got out of control. And meanwhile, you know, the PDT bar was very, like, uh, buttoned up uh, across the way. The, you know, Tony, Audrey, and Julie were kind of, like, serious. And then uh, we were, like, like a bunch of animals, much as, like, yeah. it was like a, like a frat party there. You know, and it was, it was uh, really funny looking back on it. I couldn't, I couldn't recreate the mess that we made no. uh, if, if I tried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, like a big... Like it was like a bomb went off in there. What did for you sure. set on fire exactly? Oh, you know, I used to have this flash paper that I used to uh, set set on fire, uh -huh. just uh, and throw it up in the air. And I used to get into so much trouble for it. Uh, this isn't the first time I've used fire uh, and got in trouble for it. And you know, it's funny. Some of my apprentices uh, and bartenders over at Employees Only in Singapore here, they're gonna be laughing when they hear this because. Uh, uh, I have I've outlawed fire uh, at employees only. <laughs> yeah, I've I've 86 fire, so I'll, I'll tell the fire story later. But anyway, during this time, uh, one of the uh, the the apprentices who was about to become a principal bartender, he uh, his name's Bratza. He takes me aside, you know, and he's like, oh, "Man, we're having we're having a blast." He's like, "What what are you doing these days?" Uh, I'm like, "Ah, you know, I'm in Hoboken. I kind of want to 
make the move into the city. He's like, why don't you work with us? Uh, we have a rare opening because nobody ever leaves that bar. You know, you fit it perfectly. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I thought he was just BSing me. You know, we'd uh-huh. get drunk and talk shit. So he told me about, uh, told me to like get my CV ready and come in, you know, but I didn't do it. I came back two weeks later to employees only. And the first thing he said to me was, bro, where, where you been? Where's your resume? You know, we're waiting for you. So I'm like, holy shit, this guy's serious. So he, uh, he tipped me off that the owners were having a meeting Wednesday at, uh, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Be there. So I got my resume all sorted out. So I went there at three o'clock. Um, the first person I saw was Igor Hajismalovich. Right? Okay. He gave me a hug, you know, like, you know, a little noogie rubbed my head. He's like, what are you doing here, man? I said, oh, Bratza tipped me off. He said, uh, you guys might be hiring, you know. Here's my resume. And he opens it and doesn't even read any of the shit that I wrote there about my bartending yeah, career. It took he, like million, millionaires to write it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he, just, he just opened it. it. He looked at the bottom. He said, former U.S. Marine, you're disciplined. We can use a guy like you. Uh, the boys vouch for you. I'll have something for you in a couple of weeks. So he calls me in a couple of weeks. I start the next day and we were off to the races. I looked at those guys um, the founders of Employees Only, and they were just like me. They were lunatic bartenders that had their own bar, you know? There's finally, I found somebody that did what I wanted to do and that I felt like I can relate to. And I just uh, listened to them, uh, absorbed all the information, hustled, 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 got my promotion. Um, throughout this time, I really learned how to be a complete bartender and uh, learned how to carry myself like a champ. And uh, that's really how I got started. You know, three years ago, I had the opportunity to, to finally be a part of my own bar. Uh, Igor offered me the opportunity. I was a bit scared, quite frankly, mainly because we make a lot of money, those bartenders that employees only in New York, you know. Those hard work, long hours, but we clean up. So I, I knew it was a big leap of faith I had to take, but I put every last dime I had uh, into employees only. I was an investor as well. Here in Singapore, I, I gave everything here. I left my, left my life behind. Uh, I landed. I had to train everybody, you know, alone. Um, and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But I finally achieved what I always wanted to do. I'm, I'm now a partner and a bar owner. And we, we did damn well over here at Employees Only Singapore. Got the same core team that when we started. Um, I was able to reinvest that money, you know, five times over. And... Uh, now I have a partnership or a, a little bit of stake in seven different places. So it took me a while. It took me about 16 years, but I, I got it all. You got to do that in the end. Yeah, yeah I, I achieved exactly what I, what I needed to achieve. So that's the, that's the long story, semi-long, but also short. You know, a lot of things happened in between there, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of failures, a lot of mistakes. But, um, you know, just had to keep, keep your head up and keep moving. Yeah. Did you find it difficult to switch from uh, bartending to management? And what were the main challenges you had? Uh, not much. Uh, I mean, certainly. Was things. it quite organic for you? Yes. I mean, the, the same people that, you know, that hired me put me up for it. They, they believed in me. And, you know, it was just the next logical step for me. Bar back, bartender, bar manager, bar owner, you know? It's you got to take these steps. You got to know, you know, you got to know it. You got to do it. So the good news is that is we're super busy, right? So it's not like I was taking over a failing bar or anything. So I, the, I had an advantage in that point where it's like, okay, let's just take our, our numbers and we'll see if I can make them better, mm-hmm. you know? So they weren't bad before, but I just took that as, as a new challenge, a new opportunity to learn stuff. Um, for me, I've been there, you know, 
almost almost 12 years, 11, 11 years at this point. I've been with employees only, and I'm still the fifth most senior bartender. No way. Yeah. So so there's. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, like, on, on, from a bartender perspective, I'm I'm still number five out of like twelve. You know. <laughs> and, How old uh, is employees only? Fourteen. Jesus, yeah. for an independent bar, that's a milestone. It huh? sure it's is. It sure is. Yeah. And uh, so to be able to transition from like when I was an apprentice, some of the bartenders there were helping me, you know, learn the ropes and helping me come up in the business. And now I'm the bar manager of them. So it's kind of hard because I got to respect that seniority. But also, I, I mean, it's my ass, you know, mm -hmm. like the business is yeah. it's, on, it's on me. So, you know, learning how to say no to, to people you respect uh, is tough, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably the biggest, the biggest challenge, right? Yeah, is, is learning how to say no, but also having the answers as to why. And also, um, sometimes it's an unpopular decision you have to make, uh, but you have to stick to it and, and uh, you know, just believe in yourself and, and, you know, everybody will come around. At the end of the day, we're all going to continue to be friends and respect each other because everybody, as long as you know your heart's in the right place and your mind's in the right place you know always forgiven you know I, i'm not a perfect uh, person by any stretch of the imagination i will never tell you i am but um you know I, i've learned so much from my mistakes throughout the years and now uh, i'm in a position these days to hopefully be there for my young bartenders when they make mistakes to help them learn from it as well yeah but i also think that if you as a leader, you know, if you work, if you work hard, and as you said, you show that your heart is in the right place, and you believe in something, and then every time that's a no, there's a reason why it's no, you know, that really helps, does it? Absolutely, mm -hmm. and you know, coming up as a bartender in one of the busiest bars on the planet, you know, um, I took the most pride in just being a really good team player. Like, somebody calls me, they know I could cover, I'll, I'll cover a shift. You know, if I can do it, I will. Um, when I was covering a shift to work the service bar, to work the Spence, and the servers saw me and they were super happy I was there because they knew the freaking job was going to get done. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a lot of pride. And I think uh, a lot of bartenders, uh, you know, I have a lot of bartenders now under my, under my employ. And, uh, you know, the, the, the reliable ones are, are the best ones for me. It's not about really skill, talent, passion this and that it's about being an overall team player and somebody that i can rely on if your whole team can rely on you you're the best bartender you're the best bartender in the building and every day you gotta you gotta take that that mentality saying i'm gonna be the best damn bartender i could be and not putting anyone else down but being the best bartender to me is being you know a, an overall team player and of course you know you get your good days and your bad days but overall Coming into work, ready to do what, what needs to be done in order to fill that register. You know, that's that's how everybody becomes successful. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, that uh, moving here to Asia was uh, probably the biggest challenge of your life. What what, what made it challenging for you? Oh, just, uh, you know, where to begin? Uh, you know, three years, it felt like a lifetime ago. It sure did. Mm -hmm. But being alone uh, was definitely very, very hard. I'm trying to teach these kids how to be employees-only bartenders without anybody in this whole country really understanding what the heck I was talking about. Because our bar is so unique. After 14 years, our bar is still unique. For better or worse, we're different. We execute differently. Our vibe, our energy, our product is completely different than any other bar that, that I've ever been to. I've been to bars all over the world, and we're still different, you know? <laughs> so how do, I, how do I like do that? 
so I, I eventually sent every all, all of the original apprentices. I sent them to New York. Finally, I was just like, you know what? Go to New York yourself. Find that, out what the fuck it. I'm talking about. You, know? <laughs> you go deal with that. Yeah, but but it was about being present every day, because I had the vision. I had, I had, uh, I, I knew what employees only was. I knew what our ethos was. I knew what our what our product was. I think there's nobody on the planet more that that knows what employees only is than yours truly. You know, I mm-hmm. firmly believe that, and I went in here with a goal to to create, you know, employees only Singapore. It took me a little while because I kept trying to, I kept saying to myself, oh, well, back in New York, we did this. Back in New York, we did that. Back in New York, back in, I've said back in New York so many times. And it took me, you know, a few months to realize that it doesn't have to be like back in New York, you know? We can still have the same core values and mm-hmm. tradition, but it's got to be employees only Singapore, man. I came out here to open employees only Singapore, not, not to just copy paste employees only New York. I left to have my own bar, you know? And I'm the most senior senior guy on staff now. You finally, know I mean? yeah. finally. <laughs> so it's like all these little these little things, these little tweaks that that I, I was always um, just held down by, um, for for very good reason too, because the business is just fine in New York. But I've, things I felt like needed, um, if we're going to go into a new market, needed a bit tweaking. I can do it. I can do whatever over here. Let's let's, let's make it happen. So that really gave me a. a a new lease on life, really. But being here every day, I worked prep, I worked the service, I had to keep an eye on the lighting, the music, everything else, you know. I mean, Igor was here. Uh, Igor's more of like a maitre d', um, you know, more of a personality, mm-hmm. you know. He's got a lot of wisdom, and there's not a person on the planet that doesn't like Igor, you know. Um, he's the face, you know, he's the founder of EO. Uh, I'm more of the hands-on type of guy that's gonna turn these kids into into warriors. And just having to be there, be present, that was the most exhausting thing for me. It was uh, even just how, how you put the menu down, how, you, how the bottles are arranged, how you move, keeping your head up, all these little things. And if I saw something that was off, that wasn't to my vision, I not only had to correct the apprentice, I had to tell all the other apprentices what just happened and what I want to see moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then keep on them, keep on them, keep on them until... Uh, one day, I remember we opened up in June. One day in mid-January, I, I, I was screwed, man. I thought, I thought this was the end of me. Honestly, I thought I, thought I was going to have a damn stroke or a heart attack. Um, one day, mid-June, I walked in, and uh, the place was good. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, dude. I was just like, I looked around, and the lighting was good, and music was right, and the staff was moving, and the sound, it sounded right, and the energy felt right. So I was like, yeah. Good job, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was able to chill out a little bit more, a little bit more. And then when I received word that, uh, you know, the project was paid back and when I got, well, I got my money back, uh, that was just a major weight lifted off my, sh- off my shoulders. And then, of course, the next challenge came right away was me moving to Panama to open up. This is one year after we opened up Employees Only Singapore. Mm-hmm. I went to go open the Strangers Club in Panama. And... Now it was time to leave Employees Only Singapore. After being here damn near every day for a year, it was time to let go. And I think that was the best thing I could have done for me mentally and also for the business was to take a step back. And I came back after four months and the place was just fine and it was great. And I had the utmost pride, um, not only in the staff, but just in myself. 
and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, damn it, Steve, you can do this shit. Uh, you, can, you can do this for a living, brother. You know, that's what I said to myself. And yeah, letting go was the best thing I could have done. And it really just relieved a lot of stress and it just gave me the confidence that I could move forward. And then episode two was uh, The Strangest Club in Panama. You know, <laughs> new challenges, new market, new everything. So and going back, I'm sorry, going back to uh, mm-hmm. more challenges was just finding things here too. I don't okay. know, where, to, I don't, I, where do you find an ice machine in Singapore? I don't freaking know. I don't even have a phone, you know, at the time. <laughs> so that, that, that scavenger hunt. That's very hunt. true. Eh? Yeah. That, I, I, need, I need the ice machine, but I need the glassware, right? Because my, my, all my 13 years before I, I got Employees Only Singapore, I've always been part of bars that were existing, you know? So it's like, now I had to start one from scratch, so I got to think, okay, I need the ice machine. I need the scoop for the ice machine. I need the glass to put it in. Uh, I need the napkin. I need the straw. Where do I find all this shit? I need I need the knife, the cutting board. Uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of the things you could find in one place, but I had to like, just make lists, 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 check everything off. And then also trial and error. Um, middle of service. Hey, where's the whatever? Ah, shit, we don't have one. Okay, put it on the list. You know, I'll go tomorrow to see why. I'll get, I'll get this stuff. You know, so a lot of it is just trial and error. And, uh, you know, you open, it's a big clusterfuck and then you just kind of uh just try to remain sane and positive and uh try to get as much rest as you can yeah i remember i remember i opened a bar with a friend of mine once and uh, it was for a restaurant company and we open everything's fine we're good to go and we forgot that we need an ice bucket so we've got the ice machine we've got the ice was got everything but then how do i transport the ice over right yeah and like we laugh about it like uh, you could see from the outside somebody could call you out right away and be like yeah of course you do dummy uh, yeah but when you have so many things to worry about and also you know Going from bar manager to now full-on operator, the stakes are a bit higher, you know? And it's like there is so much on your plate. And to be of service to people, I was bartending every damn night. And to be of service to people is so mentally taxing, you know? Yeah, of course. And when when you got your mind in a million different places, when you got it on prep, when you got it on the numbers, when you got it on your bank account, when you got it on your, your own like well-being, too much coffee, not enough sleep, too much booze, uh, too much stress, and then you have to just stand there and actually be of service to people. And then one person's an asshole to you, and you snap, you know? Um, you know, and it's just uh, trying to just stick with it was the hardest thing to just teach everybody what employees only is, at least not really what it is, but what it is to me and how important that jacket is. And uh, I, I'd like to say for the most part, well, I've succeeded in it. Well, congratulations on that. Eh? Well, thanks, it's brother. a very difficult task. I mean, uh, now, if you look at Employees Only now, how many, how many venues have you opened globally? Well, Employees Only has opened in... They opened in Miami uh, right after us, and then they opened in Los Angeles, Hong Kong, and Cindy. Um, it's a bit of a, a unique structure, though. Uh, I'm only involved in any sort of like operations working with Singapore and New York City. Okay. It's more of like a franchise, like like Igor and his partners. They're the, they the they, they they start these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they start these. So his original partners they branched off. Like Dushan Zarek went to L.A. Billy Gilroy went to Miami. Um, so and so. So not a lot of people know the structure there. It's quite unique. So people always they'll they'll tag me at employees only in uh, L.A. You know. And uh, as much you know, they're my friends. I love them, but I really don't have much to do with it. And they always tag me. So that's crazy. Yeah, huh? it's crazy. I mean. Uh, if they do good, yeah, yeah, I'll take credit. But if they don't, no, I'm just kidding. If they don't, it's like, oh, that's not me. No, no, I'm just joking. But, you know, I just, uh, 
I, I can only care about, or not care, I can only focus on, on the venues that, that I actually have stakes in at this point. No, at this point. But I, I, wish the best, I wish the best for everybody else as well. And if they ever need me, you know, they know that they can knock on my door, and uh, if I can help, I will. Talk to us about your venture in Panama. Well, it all started several, several, many years ago, maybe eight years ago. One of our dishwashers, he got cancer, right? Okay. And we wanted to give him some money. So at the end of our shift, we all put $20 in an envelope, right? To kind of like put a little fun together, you know? So we gave this guy money. We, we paid for his flight back to Mexico. And, you know, we just gave him some money. I don't know. That's just what we wanted to do. We do really well there. We wanted to help other people. And then uh, somebody else's uh, server got hit by a car on her bicycle. So we gave her some money. Um, one of the, the bartenders, you know, father was sick. Uh, you just name it. There was, uh, you know, with a, there's always something that just kind of came up. So we just decided to put money in the envelope and save money because we all, we're all there forever, right? So uh-huh. we wanted to just keep this fun going. And we were a couple years of disaster free life, you know? <laughs> So we had all these like little tiny envelopes with $20 in them. And our general manager, Eric, he's like, Steve, you got to do something about this. Like, you know, there's all this freaking money, you know, like it's dangerous, man. <laughs> so I counted it all and it was enough to send the staff on a, on a trip. So the first year this, uh, they went to Mexico. We kind of did it in like two shifts, you know. Okay. Went to Mexico to tour uh, tequila distilleries. And then the next year we went to Panama to tour uh, rum distilleries, right? And uh, that's where my my partners kind of fell in love with Panama. And the same gentleman who hired me, who who uh, who like you know, who trained me, Bratza, he came up to me. Uh, this was about three years ago. He came up. He's like, "Hey, we're gonna open this bar. We're gonna partner up with the owner of the, one of the rum distilleries. Um, no investors. We're gonna just use our money and uh, and open the place. You know, uh, for the magic number for us was six six of us. So we could spend two months a year there." You know, two of us at a time, two months a year. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, shit, I have this, you know, Employees Only Singapore. I don't know when it's going to happen. Because, you know, delays happen. Of course. We were supposed to open Employees Only Singapore, you know, a year before that. But, you know, trying to find the venue and the licensing and the money. You know, all these. So I uh, finally, I was like, you know what? Fuck it, let's do it. Shook his hand. So the guy that hired me, the guy that put me up to be bar manager, and then uh, now is going to be my, my business partner, right? And uh, that very same day, I got a text from Igor. He said, pack your shit. It's fucking happening. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> no way. Yeah, so automatically, I was like, ooh, okay. Uh, I think I overstretched <laughs> a little. <laughs> so it's like, uh, I have all my money is now gone, right? <laughs> I, was, like, I was making a lot of money. And then, you know, five years ago, I was broke, bro. I was drinking too much, man. I really? Was, I was like, I was drinking too much. I was enjoying this, this rock star life, man. I was living too fast. Um, drinking too much, uh, not buying who knows what. Like, I couldn't tell you one thing I really bought that made sense. My apartment was filled with nonsense. You know, like the, all the toys and bells Point and whistles. Junk, yeah. All the, yeah, all the, the materialistic bullshit and, uh, you know, drugs, you name it, man. I was living fast and hard and enjoying every second of it. I was the biggest rock star, but I was unhealthy as hell, man. And then working those 14-hour shifts at employees only, you know, it's like <laughs> several times a week. It was killing me, bro. It was killing me. I didn't even know it was killing me, but it was. So that's, that was another reason why I decided to take that leap of faith. And then I remember about five years ago, I looked at my bank account at the end of the year. I knew how much I made, and I had nothing in my account, bro. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? 
So I, I cleaned up. I um, started saving money, keeping track of how much I was making every day. Save money, save money, save money. And then, you know, almost three years later or so, I had money in the bank, man. And I just gave it up, uh, invested it. And then that was the beginning. So if anybody's listening out there, I highly suggest that you save your money. You know, budget yourself. You know, I was, I was great at managing the bar, but I wasn't good at managing myself. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, no. I was making money for the bar. But what about myself, man? I was like... I was living too much. I had to live for myself at this point. You know, I was like, I can't do this forever, bro. I need to think about my future and I want something. I want something substantial. And I kind of got off, off track here. But uh, after the year's ready, uh, Panama came to be. And I moved there, down there to open the place. And uh, we got this lovely corner spot in Casco Viejo, Panama City. Um, Panama is very similar to Singapore in the, in the in regards to uh, latitude line, like temperature, weather-wise. But it's more of a seasonal place because it has the rainy season, and then during the cold months in New York is the busy season there. It's where all the surfers come. Okay. It's where all the tourists mm-hmm. come. So uh, it's more of a seasonal business at this point. And again, it was uh, now I'm dealing with language barrier. Um, I'm teaching myself how to speak Spanish. This is a situation too. Like when I came to Singapore, nobody nobody asked me to come. No no Singaporeans asked me to come here. This is something I chose to do. So I was told myself I wasn't going to come here and shit on the way things are done here. It's like I can try to work with what they got and try to use my own little views and stuff mm-hmm. to try to, you know, make myself comfortable. But I'm never going to go to like Panama and just shit on Panama and come to Singapore and shit on what what they do. It's like this is the way it is. So you got to learn how to how to adapt and learn how to work within the system and uh, mold yourself to really be successful in any climate, you know, some matter of survival. So the thing with Panama was that it was self-funded project. We had no investors, right? It was just us and then two local Panamanians. So um, it was a lot more, I guess, like we didn't have to really answer to anybody at all at this point, but it was all of our money on the line. And because of that, our budget was very low. So... That was hard to open a bar with a super low. I mean, our budget at Employees Only Singapore wasn't that big at all. But the budget in Panama was super small. And we had to work within that budget. And, you know, we went over budget. So we opened up in debt. And, you know, during the the busy seasons, we had to just hustle and grind and grind. We only had enough money to open uh, the first floor. We have two floors of the bar. We only had enough money to open the first floor, but we needed some kind of income. So we opened the bar, first floor, and we put all the profits into opening the second, the second floor, which is pretty much the second, second bar. And now this season, uh, we're, we're going to be two next month. We, we opened upstairs. We're out of debt. We're going to start seeing uh, the return on our investment coming up soon. Um, the busy season is just about over. So, uh, you know, we have to use whatever money in the bank to just kind of stay afloat, ready for that next busy season. And there's a new president in Panama coming up. So... It's if you read any kind of thing about uh, the future of Panama, the economy is on the rise. And I hope that we can uh, be a big part of that as well, because like we're kind of at the mercy uh, of Panama. The more people that come to Panama, they always pass through our doors. I think we've got the greatest spot right there. And our food is out of this world. Our chef is top notch. This Venezuelan guy is great. Our cocktails are amazing. Our staff is on point. We we bring that style of our style of hospitality and vibe and energy to a unique spot. And all travelers, they love it. And they always come through. So the more people that come to Panama, you know, the better business is going to be. And uh, things are looking up for us, absolutely. And I'm really proud of that project. And, you know, my, my, my partners and I had our ups and downs. But, you know, we're stronger than ever as far as friends and uh, 
it's uh, it's a uh, I'm really proud of it. You could see the way I'm looking at you right yeah, now, of course. looking out into the into the uh, distance here in Singapore. But yeah, and then <laughs> that was good. Yep. Yeah. And now, uh, then it became chapter three, which <laughs> I don't know how, how much time we got. Oh, we can keep going, right? Word, yeah. oh, okay, perfect. Like, just a quick question before we move on. Question about the markets. So when when you choose a market, right, where to go? Because we talked about Singapore, we didn't talk about why Singapore, and we kind of brushed on why Panama. But like, what sort of market research do you do before you go somewhere? Because it's a huge monetary commitment, man. Yes. Well, let's just look at Singapore. Um, all the great bars and restaurants here that are that are now like now here. When we first got this idea, uh, Igor, he worked with his gentleman Josh. Josh Schwartz, way mm-hmm. back in the day. And uh, Josh and his wife, Sarissa, they're partners here at uh, Lulu's and Bang Bang, you know? So they've already been, they opened up Pangea Nightclub back in the day. So they had already been here, and they've already experienced uh, success. So they kind of, um, they were kind of our, our sort of uh, the catalysts for, for like coming out here and even checking the place out to begin with. Igor hates cold weather. He likes the warm weather. So him and I came out here, Geez, probably four years before we even found our space. So it was probably seven years ago now was the first time we came. And seven years ago, there was, what was there? There was uh, very few options, but but think about Singapore in general. Very English-speaking, you know? That's big. I, I speak pretty good English, you know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, check. I'll check that mark right there. But, you know, there's a lot of money floating around this town. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of demand for, you know, higher-end uh Cocktails, bars, restaurants, they want more experience, you know, like uh, there's, it's just opportunity 100%, you know. So uh, with all this, these culture, these this culture mixing in this tiny island, it was just a, the, it felt right, you know, it's the gateway to Asia as well, you know, everybody flies in and out of Changi, you know, um, like around this area. And it just seemed like the, the logical place to be, because if you have a brand, you know, like Employees Only is a highly awarded brand and it's very, a lot of pressure. Um, you can't open in like, like any old, you know, one horse town, you know, you got to open in a place that, that gives you kind of, you know, status. And then we felt like the market was ready and that it would be a big deal if we came here to Singapore to open up employees only's first expansion in this lovely, beautiful metropolitan city. And, uh, you know, we felt like the time was right. We felt like we were different enough to give the the local market here different uh, different take on on the on, on the bars you know and that was that in panama we went down there it was fun they take american money there's direct flights to new york you know it was uh more of a gut decision so there wasn't a lot of spreadsheets involved when no you there was well, panama was, was more of a gut was more of a gut situation because we went down there and people were partying and service sucked everywhere that was more like hey we can do better service than everybody else uh-huh. in, around you know that was that was kind of like a more of a by the gut thing. Singapore was a was a conscious, you know, conscious decision. It's a place that we we would we could find ourselves and be happy, be comfortable, but the business we feel like would be very very good. Panama was a gut thing, you know. And and me, I've always wanted to be into Shanghai, which uh, we'll talk about the the odd couple in a little bit, yeah, which is uh, pretty much uh, the the third chapter of this is yeah. uh, Before moving to that, uh, you're a movie star. Would you like to talk to us about that? Well, yeah, this is uh, Hey Bartender was the first documentary of its kind. You know, it focused on the resurgence of the cocktail in New York City and the people behind it. Uh, it was directed by a guy named Doug Tarola, who's become a dear friend. And um, that was a trip, bro. It was like, uh, 
I was very lucky to be a part of that project. Um, I was one of the stars of this documentary, and it was a long time ago. My first interview was in 2009 for Hey Bartender. And it seems like a, another, another, another lifetime ago. 10 years ago, ago man. Yes, it was. My very first interview. So this is how it happened. Doug, um, he makes documentaries for a living. He's a filmmaker. That's what he does. Uh -huh. And one of his favorite bars in New York City closed, so he was looking for bars to go to. So his mother, his mother, like, she, like, cut out, she used to cut out newspaper clippings and stuff and, like, like you know, like, give it to him, you know. About <laughs> bars. About just whatever, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she, uh, so whatever happened, uh, one thing led to another, and she cut out a little newspaper clipping of employees only or something, and she's like, you should go check this place out. And he had never been into any kind of cocktail joint before. And this is 2009, there was probably, I don't know, five or six cocktail bars, you know, in New York City. <laughs> So I'm, I'm, there's more than five or six, but, you know, I could probably count the bars on, on, on my fingers, uh -huh. you know. I may need to use my toes, but it was a long time ago. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of markets around the world didn't even have, they couldn't, nobody knew what a Negroni was, you know. It was still very, very young, even 10 years ago. So this guy walks in, right? I remember it was a Tuesday night. I was working with Bratza. We were dancing, doing our thing, you know, uh, sharing one ice well. Cranking out service, music was right, you know, the lighting was right. I was working service bar as an apprentice, and this guy walks in through the curtain. You know, like employees only, you walk in, there's the psychic, and then you go past the psychic through the curtain, and that's what the bustling bar is, right? And, you know, I'm a firm, my thing when I bartend is always like, you always got to keep your head up. You know, when you're shaking, don't look out in the space, you know, look up, look at your guests, see what you got to do next, make a cue in your head, always constantly thinking, constantly doing stuff, you know? So I'm shaking drinks, and this guy walks in, and he's got the deer in the headlights look, man. He's like, what the fuck? Where the fuck am I? <laughs> right? What the hell just happened to me? You know? And it wasn't many, like, speakeasy-style bars, like, at this point either. So the whole experience, right? I could just tell that, that he was lost. So I had, I had a decision to make, right? Do I look at Bratza? Do I go, look at this fucking guy. <laughs> he's lost, you know, and make fun of him and just let him walk out? Or do I, uh, do I let him know there's a seat opening up, which is what was happening right in front of me? So... I did both, right? <laughs> <laughs> I told Brad, so look at this fucking guy, he's yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah. So, so then I was like, hey, bro, like, you know, I, I kind of like gave him a little nod and I was like, uh, you know, gave him a nod to where the bar was going to open. So he kind of sits, he's, you know, he sits down, give him a menu. I'm still shaking drinks, you know, both hands. You know, he got dinner, he, he likes to drink tequila, you know, gave him some tequila and whatever, just, just another guest, bro. Um, he paid the check. He comes back. He's like, hey, man, uh, I make documentaries. I've never seen anything like this. You know, can I interview you? You know, and I was like, yeah, whatever, dude. OK, sure. You know, New York City, there's fucking artists all the time. That, you know, yeah, talk shit yeah, and, you know, yeah. nothing happens. <laughs> so I say whatever, dude. He comes back. We have an interview. You know, it's supposed to be 15 minutes long. It ends up being like an hour long. And I'm just shooting the shit, talking about all all the, uh, the philosophy behind how I feel behind the bar and all the stuff I'm learning, you know, at Employees Only as an apprentice looking to become a bartender. Mm -hmm. And so, some of that interview was actually in the film. He was like, this is it. Um, so we opened our doors for him and uh, he followed us. He followed the industry around for, you know, three or four years. He followed the industry and it so happened to coincide with me being promoted to principal bartender and also us winning the the Spirited Award for mm -hmm. World's Best Cocktail Bar, which was quite unique at the time because the cocktail scene was very serious back then. 
in a way, it had to get that serious. It had to be like, all right, this is how a drink is supposed to be made. You know, somebody, some nerds had to put their foot down first. And then we, the fun bar, actually won the big award, you know. The ones with that, with the with the bartenders, with the fun bartender, you know, with the with the energy, with the with the loud music, with the standing room only, like we won the big award, and it was a it was quite a a unique thing, and it was a shocker for us, and it was a a, a gold mine for Doug. Doug was like the guy who made the hey bartender. He was like you know, <laughs> like he just yeah. So we introduced him to Dale DeGroff, and then he and then he just met people throughout the industry, and you know, several years later, uh, I'm on the red carpet in Hollywood, bro, and like. <laughs> It's like I kind of Cosmo Kramered my way into that. I don't know how it happened. You know, I just uh, gave the guy the time of day and uh, got lucky, stuck with it. Um, you know, I got my jacket back in uh, 2010, and uh, we won the award in 2000. Uh, was it 11? R- Red Carpet Hollywood in 2013. 2014, it reaches Netflix. So now everybody saw it. And then, boom, we had to line out the door like crazy. And we were off to the races, and that... Uh, you know, it opened up a lot of doors for me and a lot of traveling, and it uh, changed my life for sure. You know, but I think you're right there when you said that uh, you had these like very, very prominent bars that like started setting rules. And then as things progressed, then, you know, we turned towards the people who like break the rules in a meaningful way because they're conscious of the rules existing, if uh, this makes absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It goes up, it goes in, in phases and yeah, waves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, right place, right time. And again, uh, it's it's been the same crew, the same people, the same core crew from the beginning. You know, fourteen years, me, eleven now. You know, it's like yeah, but this we've a, this all been there. Eh? I mean, these people have families now. Like I grew up with these people. These, these people, are, I've known them my whole entire adult life. We grew up together. Like we we used to get into trouble for you know uh, for a v- variety of things you do when you're young, and now we're you know in our mid thirties. And uh, some have families, married kids, but we're still we're still hustling, we're still grinding, we're we're a part of each other's life, and that's special. That's that kind of friendship. It's, it goes beyond friendship. It's family now. And I consider myself a, a major linear lineage holder of employees only. So my goal is to to try to spread that message and and really teach. You can't teach, you know. I guess loyalty and like uh, esprit de corps and brand stuff. You can't really teach it. You can only hope to inspire and uh, hope to lead the way and uh, hope to really uh, get some kids to believe in you and say, hey, you can do this, man. I did this. You know, I did this. Igor did this. You know, what's stopping you from doing this? I, always, I promised my kids one thing here. I promised them an opportunity and a platform to make whatever they want of themselves. And uh, some have really taken advantage of it. And the ones that have really taken advantage of it, they understood that message that I sent where... You gotta have the respect of your colleagues, you know, and you you gotta have the have the that passion and dedication to teamwork. And without that, uh, you ain't nothing, man. You know, you could have all the talent in the world if you can't work with people, you're fucked. No, no, you yeah. can't. But so talking about uh, just to wrap uh, the employees only bit, do you have any regrets or things that you would have done differently throughout your employees only career? Oh, I mean, absolutely little things, uh, both personal and professionally. You know, I have regrets all the time. You know, <laughs> I, I am, I am, uh, I have probably, a, I have a very guilty conscience, brother. Okay. Yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I got where I am. Definitely uh, the most honorable uh, of fashions, man. I earned it. I saved my money. I, uh, I never fucked anyone over. Um, I'm proud of that, and I could stand here and. and Really be proud of myself in that regard, but you know, I've I've just made some you know some uh, little bit of blunders here and there. I wish I would have um, 
brought somebody with me from New York, but this is not enough equity to pass along at this point. So I guess I guess my regrets are more per, on a personal level than they are on a professional level. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about uh, now it's time for your uh, third venture. Yes. Tell, tell us a bit about it. Well, this was uh, right now, what is it, the 14th of May in 2019? Uh, we're in the middle of Singapore Cocktail Festival, right? Oh, speaking of Singapore Cocktail Festival, me and Igor were part of the very first Singapore Cocktail Festival. Oh, really? Whatever, four or five, there was 10 people. 10 of us. I heard it was like some sort of Twitter thing, was it? Or it was, was it? 10 people. Uh, <laughs> you know who, who brought me over? Zach, Zach the Kid. Okay. Yeah, okay. he was working for Monkey Show at the time. <laughs> he brought me and Igor over. It was like, it was like 10 to 12 days. We stayed at we stayed a beautiful hotel down the road, and I ended up moving two blocks from that hotel, and uh, yeah. it was quite the experience. There was only ten of us, man. And that uh, was the whole week. Yep, it was ten of us there, just a variety of, of of things. You know, Dean Cowan was a part of it. Ivar DeLong, uh, Amanda Wan. It was a really cool experience, and to see how much it's grown. Holy shit! You know, like I. It's huge. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Huge. And to be to be like the. To be the, the the OG makes me feel yeah, makes me feel good. It makes I don't know why, but uh, uh, the asshole part of me takes a little credit. I like. It. <laughs> <laughs> I looked, I went to the lawn the other day. One yeah, of my yeah. one of my bartenders, Brian, was competing in the flare competition, and uh, I went to the lawn and I was like, the asshole side of me. I was like, yeah, I helped with this, you know. When I didn't do shit, but like, <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is like thirty percent of it. This yeah, 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 this is. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, going back to to the story at hand. Um, I had wanted to get into Shanghai. I was just doing some research about the market there and about the opportunity there. And I knew one thing. Once I'm in China, I'm in China. You know, it's very, it's very closed off, secluded. Um, it's its own monster. So I thought, uh, you know, who am I going to get involved with, right? Obviously, one of my best friends has had a lot of success out in China. His name is Shingo Gokan. We met 10 years ago in New York City, the first ever Bacardi Legacy cocktail competition. Um, we both lost, but I remember he was wearing a gray suit with bleached blonde hair, and he was surrounded by all these really cool Japanese people, you know? And I had, this is the first time I used my big hammer that I used to crush ice. People, you know, we got machines to do that shit now, but, um, you know, this was, again, this was 10 years ago. You know, uh -huh. it was, a, 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 bartending was in its infancy, you know? There wasn't many, many cocktail bars. And Angel Share is what he used to run. That was like that was like the original of all of them. It's been around 25, whatever the hell years it's been. I could be wrong. Somebody will have to look it up. But I thought he was the coolest, coolest guy in the building, right? And then he looked over at me and he kept laughing at me because I had this big mallet, right? And I was crushing ice in front of the judges. The judges were taking, taking photos on their flip phones, you know? <laughs> yeah, flip phones, man. So, you know, we, we both lost. We hadn't seen each other for a year after that. And then uh, the second Bacardi Legacy, uh, we compete against each other again. These, these were like, in, in, like invitationals at the time. Okay. The, the Bacardi representative, uh, Juan Coronado, he invited both of us to compete both years. Mm -hmm. And I made this hot punch for Bacardi Legacy. I thought it was unique, different. And Mr. Shingo had a drink called Speaklow. And he beat me. And he went on to win the global competition, yeah. Bacardi Legacy. We had him as a guest shift. It's the only, actually, it's the only guest shift we ever had at the American Bar. At American Bar, the only one, yeah. Yeah, I'm, so I was well aware for him that night, yeah. That's very cool. That's yeah. a great honor he's got. Oh, my God. Um, but when he won the whole thing, uh, I went to Angel Share, and I presented him with the hammer that I used in our first competition. Oh, really? as, as a gift, yes, as a congratulations, as a gift. 
and we just became like really good friends. At this point, he really didn't even speak that much English. And then he's, he, he started learning English throughout the time. I did a lot of like events for Bacardi because I did so well in the competitions. The next year, he judged me. And uh, he was the judge. And I made it to the finals. I finished second overall in the United States. And I, uh, I was telling my story of how I got injured and how bartending kind of brought me back to life, sort of like what I was saying earlier in this uh -huh. podcast. And the whole time I, I was talking, I had this woman that was dressed like Uncle Sam. You know Uncle Sam with the yeah, hat, the red, white, and blue hat? And she was playing the violin. Like, I was telling a sad story, and she was playing the violin no next way. to me. Yeah. And then uh, as, I, as my story got better and better, right, um, I hired this guy. Um, he played the saxophone, right? And, and then he, he came in. Like, she was playing the United States National Anthem, but very somber. And then towards the end of it, this guy, he gets How on. How many people did you hire? Two, two, two. <laughs> he got on stage, right? Uh, he played uh, the land of the free and the home of the brave. You know, like when, he, when the brave part, uh -huh. his saxophone blows fire. It's a flamethrower, right? <laughs> <laughs> you really like fire. And, and, and the photo of the flame right over Shingo's head. It was freaking hilarious. I have to show you this photo. I'll send it to you. Yeah, the, yeah, and then uh, I got in some big trouble for that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, the flame throwing. I, I got I'm gonna post it on, on Instagram. Whatever, whenever this podcast hits, uh, I'll, I'll I'll tag the podcast and I'll post this photo of, of Shingo looking over uh, with with the Uncle Sam lady, uh, me in my EO jacket pointing up in the sky, and the fire erupting in the place. <laughs> and <laughs> did you did you actually compromise uh, Shingo's hair? Because no, absolutely. Uh, okay. Thank thank goodness I didn't. Thank goodness I didn't. But because uh, uh, Shingo's hair is a uh, UNESCO heritage, I yeah, of course, so. of course, it's it's it's, a, it's definitely a worldwide treasure. Um, so anyway, th those were then uh, I ended up getting like um, I did a lot of these videos, these campaigns for Bacardi. They, they anytime Jacob Breyer's number came on my phone, I got so happy. I was like, some cool shit is about to happen. So uh, I have to attribute a lot of a lot of this stuff to Jacob Breyer's as well. That gave me a lot of exposure in the industry and gave me a lot of opportunity. Again, for me, everything's about opportunity. You know, what do you do with this opportunity? So for me, it was about traveling around, making cocktails. And of course, someone else that was really influential was David Cordoba, mm -hmm. who, of course, you know, he was the global ambassador of Bacardi at the time. And then there was a couple of us. There was Zdenek, who has been on this, you know, Z. Z's been on there. Uh, Daniela Dallapola. Uh, it was a, a group of, uh, Philip Bischoff was another one. Um, there was a lot of people, actually, that ended up right here in Singapore. It's crazy, huh? Yeah. And we all, uh, we all would go around and uh, do these events for, for, for Bacardi. And that allowed Shingo and I to guest bartend all over the world and really get a chance to know each other. Instead of uh, just being two guys that respected each other, we became actual friends. So now it's last year, Singapore Cocktail Festival. I judged the Fastest Hands competition. The famous uh, Fastest Hands. Yes, the Fastest Hands competition is a like, team competition at 28 Hong Kong Street. And I was one of the judges. And uh, I, I don't even know what you judge there. You know, yeah, it's no, like, yeah, there's like it's a plain mess. Yeah, it's just a mess. I don't know what to, I didn't even know what I judged, but I was there. And um, basically what you do is it's like you have a team of three or four or whatever it is. It's like three, two, one, go. You have 20 minutes, a half hour, whatever it is. And you have to sell tickets. Like you buy drink tickets and you have to serve people drinks. Basically, who can like ring in the most in a certain amount of time? And China went first, right? Three, two, one, go. Somebody from China went and bought $1,500 worth of tickets, right? <laughs> no way. And China won. Yeah, yeah. It was like, it was like easy, easy win. So I was like, man. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I was like, man, this, how does this guy have the budget for this? 
I was like, this is fun and all, but like, you know, and here I am telling you the story of me and Bacardi hiring a, a flamethrower and an Uncle Sam violin lady. So I had appreciation for the, you know, for the budget <laughs> stuff. But, but, um, but I was like, man, I really need to get into China. Like, I want to go to China. You know, this is it. And um, the very next day, I was one of the judges of the flair competition put on by, by Bar Styles here in Singapore. And I was the judge, and I invited Shingo. I'm like, hey, Shingo, why don't you come have a beer? This was at the Hard Rock. So Shingo came, uh, you know, I gave him a little nod when I had some time. We just started BSing and talking, and I was like, Shingo, man, keep in mind, this is right when Avengers Affinity War came out, okay. right? So I saw it. I was all pumped up. I was all about this super team idea. <laughs> People, you know, Captain America and Iron yeah, Man yeah, joining yeah, forces. Yeah. I was like, man, this is like... No, it hasn't been done. I'm like, we can do this. So I was like, Shingo, I, I sold it. It's, you know, like, let's, let's open a bar together in Shanghai, man. I'll, I'll be your waiting room. You know, I'll have the high volume bar, you know, like, and uh, you have the secret bar, as many secret doors as you want in this place. You know, when they're waiting for your bar, they'll, they'll hang out in my bar, man. Like, uh, I'm like, I joked, I jokingly said, you know, you win the awards, I'll make the money, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was a very successful uh, <laughs> business model proposition. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, like, it's never been done before. Let's, let's do this. We both had success. We know what we're doing. Let's, let's blend these two completely contrasting styles. And she goes like, man of very few words. He's like, you really want to do this, huh? I was like, absolutely. He's like, okay. And then that was it. Ten days later, he messages me on Facebook Messenger. He's like, uh, hey, man, I got a space. I got like a this. contract. I got a deal. Ten, yeah. Ten days. <laughs> ten days. God, is, uh, is Japanese efficiency. Ten, yeah. ten days. Because he's got the infrastructure there. You know, I, I needed I needed an in. And uh, Shingo was, was really uh, generous enough to, to hear me out on this. And uh, he's like, we got to open by November 15th. This was May of last year. He's like, we got to open by no November 15th. So oh, that was quick. Yep. So uh, I was like, all right, uh, what are we doing? <laughs> he's like, I don't know, man. What do you want to do? So we were thinking about it, right? This space we have is in um, Shintendi, which is like very prosperous business area. It's a lot of English speaking in this area. A lot like Shake Shack is our neighbor. There's a Lady M there. A lot of high-end shops and stuff. And it's a two-story little venue there. And you got to be invited to do business there. And Shingo was, has been invited to do business there. The space wasn't, uh, it didn't allow for us to have the uh, two bars. So we decided that was like, let's just split up the stations, you know. Let's train bartenders. Like, let's make it a factory for bartenders, you know. They get to learn your style and get to learn my style under one roof. So the Odd Couple, which was uh, the name The Odd Couple, a year before, we did an event in Tokyo, and our menu there said The Odd Couple, which The Odd Couple was an old New York TV show Okay, where um, two guys were forced to live together. They had just gotten divorced, and they lived. They were roommates in an apartment in New York, and one guy was, like, well-dressed, well-put-together, you know, nice and neat, and the other guy was, like, feet on the table, like, sloppy and dirty, you know? Uh -huh, uh -huh. And our bartending styles are pretty much that exact thing, so we called The Odd Couple. And uh, we were called The Odd Couple, so we had a list of different bar names, and The Odd Couple was the only one that was on both of our lists, so we're like, boom, done, Odd Couple, mm -hmm. name, done. Let's talk about concept, right? So we're like, all right, let's have your station, my station, because the, the bar is like a weird L kind of thing, so it's like Shingo's side and my side, you know? And the menu has several different flavors or sensations, and then there's a drink my style and a drink Shingo style. Shingo's being very, you know, uh, more a little bit more complex, delicate, a lot more back-end prep, you know what I mean? 
and mine are a bit bigger, stronger, higher in, in alcohol, higher in volume, and uh, you know, M more American. Style, yeah, American yeah, style. Yeah. So um, you could see, you know, uh, one flavor, two different drinks. There's a couple drinks for one flavor. Boom, odd couple, perfect. You know, it's like I, I I thought of it on an airplane. I came up with a fake menu, send it to him. He's like, brilliant, done. Um, then we thought design. So we're like, what, what could this design be? Because like Shingo didn't want like speakeasy, dark, like, you know, he, he has bars that are like dark, yeah. classy mm -hmm. kind of things. So, yeah, he wanted to do something different. He wanted to basically adapt a little bit more my energy, essentially his sort of drinks, but in my kind of style, you know? So we were thinking, uh, he came up with this. He's like, man, uh, we're both the same age. We're both born in 1983. He's like, why don't we just do, a, do an 80s thing? And I was like, I don't want to just do like a like an '80s throwback, you know. But then our, our designer, he came up with the idea of doing this like retro futuristic thing, where it's like if two kids in the '80s, if they came out with a with a bar in like 2019, so like two kids in the '80s went to the future, you know, like like what would it look like? So it's like an '80s inspired, you know, futuristic, so modern drinks, modern modern uh, sort of bartending, but in kind of a fun, uh, colorful '80s setting, and. I saw the, the design, it was super colorful, super cool, and it was unlike anything else that, that Shanghai's got at the moment, and uh, boom, we were off to the races. Uh, we opened up, and the bartenders there are getting a lot of exposure to completely different styles. You know, it's not without its, um, it's not without its challenges, of course. You know, speaking of more language barriers, in Panama, I'm not the best Spanish speaker, but I I, yeah. I, I know my way around yeah. a little bit. You know, I, I speak like Spanish Tarzan. I say, I, I don't know how to make a <laughs> sentence, but I know all the words. Yeah. But in China, I don't know shit, man. I don't know anything, you know. So that that was quite difficult. So how do you communicate with the team? Uh, we have we have multi multilingual staff and stuff, but it, it, it's been a, you know, it gets, it gets hard to communicate. And uh, I got... Again, I found myself in a position trying to trying to teach a a style and a mentality to to a team that has no idea what I'm talking about. So it just took a lot of uh, just doing my thing, doing my thing, see how they react. Um, I may have went a little bit too hard to begin with, but now uh, we've been open since November. Um, we've really hit our stride, and we did soft opening for three months to kind of like try out a bunch of different drinks and concepts and this and that. And man, our drinks, it's the, it's the best cocktail menu I've ever been a part of. And I'm learning so much working with Shingo and his team. He's, he's really polished, polished my style of drink making. And like, or like when it comes to the actual product in the glass, he's really polished my rough and rough around the edges and kind of raw kind of stuff. In, in what way? Uh, just the, the, the ice, the glassware, the back end preparation, okay, uh, okay. you know, just the, the presentation of my, of my style. For, from a pure uh, geometrical yes, perspective. Yes. Okay. I, I, absolutely, 100%. And I've learned, you know, a couple new, new techniques along the way. Um, you know, I learned how to make things clear. That's a big thing now. Yeah, right? it's huge, man. I love that crap, man. But now I, I just added a new element onto my, my, my style. I like to do a lot of different things, you know. I like flair. I like uh, high volume. You know, I, I like to now do, do this stuff that we're doing with Shingo. You know, I like to learn as much as I can, even, you know, 16, 17 years in. And I'm still practicing, you know, like every day. I still practice my, my free pouring before every shift. And uh, I, I think of bartending as um, like a professional skateboarder, you know. They don't read books in order to get good at that shit. They learn by failing by, by, and, and by practicing. Yeah. I think the best bartender should be able to whip you up something. Uh, based off of uh, experience and skill, and um, 
you know, learning how to manage a room like that and to be able to hustle and fill that register, that for me is, is bartending, you know, but it's cool to explore different styles. And, uh, and for me in China, it, it's become less like BSing, you know, I'm really good at like telling jokes with bars, interacting with guests, but if I can't communicate with my guests, what do I do? My communication is what's in the glass now. So I had to put more focus on what's actually in the glass. Whereas uh, at another bar, I can get by on good chat, a little bit of humor, this and that, which I still do, by the way. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it allowed me to explore bartending in a different a different setting in a different way, and it's uh, it's worked out well for me. And business is great there, and we've only scratched the surface at the Odd Couple of what we can do in regards to events. We're doing all these really cool events where we're doing uh, an Odd Couple at the Odd Couple. So we bring in two guest bartenders that are, that are different, you know. We'll bring in a flair person and a cocktail person. We'll bring in a bartender and a DJ. A bunch of, like, two combos of, of fun stuff, you know. And, like, we'll, uh, we'll let them just hash it out and have fun. And doing a lot of, like, buyouts and stuff. We're working on just at different levels of business at this point. I'm learning the ropes in China uh, as we go. You know, the, uh, I'm getting used to the team. The team's getting used to me now. And uh, working with Shingo has been such a such a great experience. He's uh, he's such a pro, and we can have a talk about business. We can agree, we can disagree, but we're always respectful, and we always uh, come to a, an agreement, you know. And uh, our relationship again is based off of respect for each other's product. And uh, I, I I'm looking forward to doing more with him in the future, absolutely. But in terms of the Chinese market, like you must have had some like r- real big challenges like in terms of distribution because like okay it's the same challenges you had here in singapore but amplified by the fact that you don't have the language skills right yeah absolutely you know there's several times i've asked for blackberries and i got strawberries brother <laughs> really yeah man <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah and you know and, and another another situation I, i'm going to china nobody asked me to go there i voluntarily went it's about learning to work within the system and not really uh, stressing out too much. And, you know, when it comes to products and stuff, um, I've, I've been in the game a long time. I, I can adapt, man. In Panama, it's hard to get anything. I feel like I went back in time with ingredients. Seriously? Yeah, it's like making really good stuff with all the stuff that, uh, from my very first dive bar in D.C., like all the products I had oh, there, no and now way. I'm making good shit with it. <laughs> you know, I'm going back with knowledge and experience, you know? Back and, to palm grenade. Yeah. <laughs> It's a full circle, man. <laughs> so it's like, uh, so I, I don't need much in order to make a balanced drink, bro. It ain't that hard, you know? Like, uh, I know how sugar and uh, I know how sweet and sour and bitter, you know, I know how that works at this point in my career. It doesn't take much. Um, if anything, I, I thought of it as a, as a new challenge and a cool way to incorporate local techniques and local stuff within what I do. And for me, it's all about, again, having fun at the end of the day. As long as the guests are having fun, that's one thing that's universal. Everybody likes to enjoy themselves. They all like to enjoy themselves in a different way. But as a bartender, you got to play different roles. You know, you got to sometimes be the comedian. Sometimes you got to be the security guard. Sometimes you got to be the soldier. You know, you got to be so many different hats to so many different people at so many different times. So the more you just uh, keep your head up and observe the moment, then uh, you, uh, you're going to be successful and you're going to reach your full potential. But... That was chapter, what was it, three? Chapter three I got yeah. one more chapter, baby. Yeah. You ready for it? Yeah, of course. Hit me hard. Fuck, man. Uh, you got to work tonight? <laughs> I'm not holding you from your shift, at, okay? At some point, but... Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, this one is just a nice wrap-up story. Um, before we got on the air here, I told you I'd recently moved back to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because I have business there now. Um, okay. Very busy in New York. 
So this was uh, about a year ago as well. I went back to New York um, just for a couple couple months, you know. Um, it's always good to return home for a little bit. And I was the MC of a, of a whiskey festival at a casino in Providence, Rhode Island. At this point, I'd do anything for money, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, uh, but remember that the Legion Cafe, that place I, I worked at, right, yes, right, uh, yeah, right as, I, uh, as I moved back from Washington, D.C. after the fine dining venue, um, I was having a beer with one of my former bartenders who lives in Providence now with his family. His name's Vito. And we were just BS, and Vito's like, you know, Eugene sold Amanda's. Amanda's was the, the fine dining restaurant. So he sold it to Juan, who was the longtime HD. And immediately the bell went off. I was like, bing. I was like, uh, what about Elysian, bro? He's like, I don't know. Why don't you call him? And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to call this guy. He's my former boss. I'm not going to call and say, you know, hey, you're selling your restaurant. It's like asking somebody, like, you know, hey, you still dating that girl? You know, is yeah, she exactly, free? Yeah. Can I, you know, think can I call her? Yeah, it's weird. So I contacted a longtime uh, bartender there, someone that's been bartending there forever. His name's Tommy, and Tommy's like, yeah, actually, Chef Travis, he wants to, he wants to buy the place, but you know, he's hit a couple dead ends. You know, he doesn't have money, doesn't know anybody. And I was like, uh, I did pretty well in Singapore, bro. Um, can you get me in touch with him? And Chef Travis been there for ten years. So he gets us on a call, Travis and I speak, and we reach an agreement on a couple hours. We're like, dude, let's do this. Let's, let's take the next step. Because Eugene, this guy, he, he owns the building, but he, uh, he wants to retire from the business, you know? So the licensing there in Hoboken, New Jersey, they don't give out any more licenses anymore. They have to, you have to buy it from somebody else. So this, this bar has been, has been a continually operated bar since 18, a uh, restaurant or bar for, since 1895. Jesus. Yeah, the, the walls and ceilings are original. It's a landmark building. So he wants to sell the business, but he wants to sell it to somebody that would keep it going, you know? So as soon as uh, Chef got me on board, um, Eugene was like, yeah, let's, let's sell it, you know? Like, he believed in us. And someone else who has given us a, a, lot of, a lot of confidence in us and a lot of opportunity, Eugene did. And he, uh, he offered to sell us the place. So it took about a year of paperwork but uh, October 18th, 2018, we got the keys to the Legion Cafe. Congratulations. So, thank you. So the bar I used to work at before, Employees Only, came for. It was a neighborhood bar, man. The one where I used to blow up the, the ginger beer bottles. Uh, I own the fucking place now, man. And uh, it is the greatest honor I've ever had. For me, I, my, my career is complete. That's mega. Well, you still have to buy the dive bar where you worked first. That's closed. It's not. Oh, yeah, that's man. long time closed, and it's like now a clothing store. Oh, um, okay. But it's you not, know, I sometimes smell that either. bar whenever I walk by a really bad smelling <laughs> bar. I smell the old beer and the, you know, I used to throw you know lime that um, it covers up smells. It's like the powdery. It's like it used to cover up smells uh, and, and yeah, dead yeah, bodies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, that was all in the in the in the basement. It was all, everything was covered in lime. Yeah. That's sanit sanitization at its best. That place is just left in my memories, man. <laughs> and you know, all I got there is is some good memories of me fucking up, man. I've I've fucked up several. Like speaking of like you know learning from your mistakes, I've learned so much at that place of what not, what type of bartender I don't want to be. Oh, hold on, this is funny, man. Real quick, I gotta tell this one. Oh, okay. So. I'm at the bar. I'm chewing tobacco. I'm, you know, 20 years old or some shit. And uh, we had a live band every night, but early the band didn't come on. Dead bar. And we got a, this, this guy comes in, right? Italian guy. He sits at the bar, and uh, there was nobody else in the fucking place, right? What do you want? He's like, uh, uh, martini. I'm like, what kind? 
It's like a martini. Like, what kind of martini you want, bro? And he looks at me like I'm some kind of dumbass, and he goes, uh, I want martini, you know, mouths it to me. Uh-huh. So I just got frustrated, you know, I had no patience for this shit. I was a Marine with tons of uh, testosterone. So I called the uh, Tunisian doorman who used to like sit in the stool at the end and just play um, Sudoku, you know, okay. like the little books, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. It's like, come on over here, you know? And he puts the book down. He's like, what's up? I'm like, this guy keeps fucking with me, man. Get him out of here, you know? <laughs> so he grabs the guy by the throat, right? He drags the guy, yeah, he drags the guy out, right? And the guy's like, you know, he's getting dragged out. His feet are like, he's not like moving backwards. His feet are still and they're like kipping up against the ground, you know. And I was just like, I gave him just like a little salute, like, see you later, pal. You know, his hand was on the door, like he was trying to keep himself in. And one finger at a time was slowly like you see in the cartoon. And then he was gone. And then his cries for Martini got lower and lower and lower. And about six or seven years later, I find out that uh, Martini means uh, vermouth on the rocks. Yeah, exactly. yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, it turns out uh, in, the, in this industry, we call that, uh, oops, you know, my bad. Huh? I screwed that up. That, that's called a mistake on, on my part as a young bartender. this poor guy, man? Yeah, yeah. I bet, I bet he saw, I, when, when Hey Bartender got on Netflix, I bet he was like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Doesn't even know Martini is on the movie. <laughs> Crazy stuff, man. So yeah, that, that was my my uh, that was uh, one instance. Uh, when you say, do you regret anything as a young bartender? I regret. Not, that's yeah. one of them. So uh, I I could look back on that and laugh, but uh, now uh, I didn't have anybody in this position, and the industry was not the business, and the industry was not at that level. It was very rated R. The industry at this at this point. Now it's like very PG the the business, but I come from a very rated R type style. And now I'm, I'm happy that I'm in a position where I can actually be there for some of the younger bartenders and, uh, and you know, just give them a little bit of, uh, of guidance, you know. But my, I never like to micromanage. I like to let my bartenders make mistakes, like learn from your mistakes. You know, if I tell them exactly what to do when they leave me, what are they left with, you know? Yeah, it's about course. making mistakes and it's about learning. This is, this is why the mistake is, you know, and just letting them find who they are. Because I don't want a bunch of people that are exactly like me. I want them to learn from me, but like I learned from my mentors a lot of a lot of things. I learned what I what kind of bartender I don't want to be, you know. Because you can't improve. Like if you don't understand why, yeah. Like something like does not function, or like if you don't feel the pain, you'll never uh, you'll never understand. You know. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's a great approach. Absolutely. But about your uh, last chapter. What yes. Is, what changes are you planning to implement, if any? Well, the place has been open forever. It already makes money. It does great, right? But um, it's a neighborhood bar. Everybody knows what they want. They know how they like it. The, the least, the stupidest thing I could do is change anything. Mm-hmm. My approach is to elevate it where it needs to be elevated. Cocktails there were less than 2% of sales. No way. Total. So I was like, okay, I can do something right then and there. Mm-hmm. Easy. I inherited a massive inventory. And by inherited, I meant I had forced to buy it. But... A massive, 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 like a little small warehouse, right? <laughs> Is it like they have some like valuable vintage stuff in there? No, 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 no. It's just, uh, and not necessarily bad products, just products that I just have too much of and want to get rid of. So uh, I, my, I changed the menu right away. And I did the old, you see a lot of bars doing this now where they batch all the, the non-perishable ingredients and then you just add the citrus. Uh-huh. So for a margarita, for instance, I'll put the tequila, the Cointreau, and the, Cointreau, and, the uh, and the agave nectar together in one bottle. Add the lime juice later, and it makes the bartender's life there because these are all bartenders that have been bartending there for 15 years, and they're older, you know. 
I spent my entire time in Asia here preparing the kids for the path ahead. In Hoboken, New Jersey, I gotta I gotta prepare the path for the for the bartenders. You know, I gotta make it as easy as I can on them to execute this this program oh, that course. I want to do. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a little bit of an opposite thing. These are people that I worked with, by the way, 13 years ago. No way, yeah, I'm still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About 75% of the people are still there. Yeah. That must yeah. be a shock to them. Can you imagine? Yeah, but you know what? I I left and I came back and I believe I came back with uh, I'm legit. You know, with the level of it's not like I'm just some asshole to come in to buy the place. You must have changed so much. I have, man. Yeah. I have. Oh my god! Especially cleanliness is one of them. Yeah, yeah. cleanliness. And my approach. You know, I I but I came. Uh, yeah, I I I just wanted to come home and. Uh, Show them what I've learned, but within the context of this place. I'm not going to try to change this place. So the, the cocktail menu has a bunch of drinks that are classics, that are easy to execute. Um, no more than three ingredients with all the batches, you know, or no more than three pickups for the bottle. Um, Back-end inventory control and ordering habits. I got my spreadsheets there all sorted out. I'll keep on top of the numbers. Lowering my inventory. I just did, uh, we sell a ton of wine. I just bought a red wine fridge to serve wine at optimal temperatures, you know. So I didn't change it. I changed the glassware. So I, I'm not changing the product. I'm changing more or less how the product's delivered, mm. you know. And I, I go in there every day, man. Every day. I live in Lower Manhattan now. I live in Nolita, Soho area. I go in. Uh, this is my daily life. Uh, I go to the gym. I uh, go into my restaurant. And for the last 12 years or so, I've been having lunch with my mother there. And Eugene, the previous owner, he told me about 12 years ago in passing, he's like, you know, when my kids get out of school, I'll probably sell this place someday. And that stuck with me. He just said it in passing and kept going. And uh, that stuck with me. And I always looked at the thing and I was like, oh, man, what would I do if I had this place? That would be so beautiful. Because uh, I'll show you the photo, the ceilings. If you check Elysian Cafe Hoboken uh, online, anybody, uh, or just check my Instagram at Schneidy Sense. No, Mighty Schneidy. Schneidy Sense is my, uh, my Facebook. Uh, okay. uh, you'll see photos of the thing. So... After 12 years, you know, just like I toured the world, I've trained bartenders in 44 different countries, and uh, I came back and bought that bar. Uh, I go there every day with the biggest smile on my face, and I got time. The place has been open for forever. Like, if I want to improve things and fix things, I don't have to rush, you know? It's not like a new business. I just got to maintain and keep my composure and uh, just enjoy it. And then at nighttime, I cover ships and employees only in New York. And I, that's that's my that's my cash grab. That's a good throwback. Yeah, that's my cash grab. I come here. Uh, I do that for a couple months. Then I come to Asia. I got an agreement with Shingo where uh, you know they take care of my travel. So uh, as long as I fly in and out of Shanghai, so I'll go from New York. I'll go to Shanghai for a week. I'll come to Singapore for a couple of weeks. I'll go back to Shanghai and then uh, for another week, and then I'll go back to New York. And that's my life at the moment uh, until chapter five, which is yet to be written, brother. Well, I'm sure uh, Chapter 5 will follow shortly. Eh? Yeah, my goal in the future, to be honest, is uh, after all my investments are paid back, they're on the right track, you know. Um, I'm still working for my money. Once they're all paid back, I'll be really living uh, off of passive income. I want to save money and I want to buy buildings, man. My next logical step from bar back, the bartender, bar owner, is freaking building owner, building brother. Owner. <laughs> yeah, I want, I, want to, I want to own the building where the, where the bars where pay the, the rent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's my next logical step. And I, I'm talking, man, I'm talking down the line, you know, where I really don't know, but I've been doing a lot of research on the subject. And uh, I think I could be good at that. We'll see. But uh, I, I do have, you know, I do have a lot of thanks. And like, I'm very grateful for everyone that's uh, supported me throughout the years. And I never forget that, you know, I don't have many former friends, um, you know, um, 
I keep to myself these days. I really do. I don't really travel so much for like BS, like uh, guest ships or anything like that, or like seminars or talking. I just basically, when I travel, I travel to work. And uh, these days, when I was younger, it was about getting exposure and getting out there, this and that. But at this point, uh, I think I'm more valuable actually just working and shutting up about it. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. I mean, there has to be a value to, to yeah. that, right? If, yeah. if there's no added value, there's no need to, to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just, uh, I guess the word I could use is uh, I'm at peace, you know? I'm at peace. I'm not resting on my laurels, but I'm very, I'm at, I'm at peace right now. And uh, it's a feeling that I, I, uh, I'm going to keep chasing. And I'm never going to forget about the people that helped me along the way. I feel like I earned everything, but I couldn't do it alone. Uh, everything, everybody from my partners to my apprentices, you know. And if I can help them out in the future, I totally will. It was very cool chatting to you. I have a question that I asked to everyone, so I'll shoot it to you as well. If you could have a very last drink, what would that drink be? Man. You know, all of uh, Singapore here knows that I'm a mezcal margarita guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mezcal margarita rocks with salt. I don't yeah, care. You're, I love you're, it with you're a salt. salt guy? I'm a salt guy. You know, people gave me shit back when, like, bartending was all serious. They gave me shit for liking salt on my margaritas. And then... I like, still... still I, I have the feeling they still give you shit for that. Well, probably. But now, but they're putting drops of saline and stuff. Come on, man. Give me a break, man. Like... <laughs> yeah, some good old-fashioned <laughs> salt on yeah, that, man. right? <laughs> now people are putting salt on their drinks. I'm like, what happened to all my... No, you can't put it in a margarita, though. Yeah, yeah. So That's I, crazy stuff, right? Yeah, man. Probably mezcal margarita, you know? That's my, that's my number one. I haven't been drinking so, so much these days, though. I've been, you know, no. working out, training, and uh, I, I got so much responsibility with businesses all over the world that uh, I don't do hangovers too good anymore, bro. I don't say I quit drinking. I say I just, uh, I'll drink if I want, but right now I'm just kind of chilling, and you know, I do have on the horizon. I just posted today on my Instagram that uh, I had a Steve Shunner Show podcast is coming back. Um, I did it. Many you years used to ago. do this podcast, which was huge, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was huge. I was the the the, the first man. Uh, I was the first actual bartender to have you a were, podcast. And we brother. were talking about it not long ago, actually, with a couple of colleagues. And why why did you stop? Too busy. I, well, yeah, too busy, man. I I record, I edit, I post, I do everything myself, bro. I prepare for everything. I don't have a. I learned how to do all this stuff from scratch, and I just simply didn't have either the time or the mental capacity to do it. But I think I'm in a very healthy place at this point, especially living back in New York. I landed back in New York and I'm, uh, I get all my creative like juices flowing, you know? There's so much going on and so much that I can do out there. And um, I don't know, I feel like uh, the time is right. I haven't done an episode in over two years. <laughs> so uh, I'm gonna be uh, just uh, reviving the Steve Schneider Show podcast and it's gonna be a lot of fun. And it's gonna allow me an opportunity to uh, again i had over 12,000 subscribers i was i'd say in my eyes the 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 first man like i would search bartender podcast there was only one it was called the speakeasy but it was more on heritage radio it wasn't quite a podcast podcast but um but this was like the first like bartender on his own doing his own thing telling people what's going on it wasn't like a production company it was nothing it's just me that figured all this shit out and wanted to to just Spew, yeah. spew what was on my mind. It's like kind of a form of therapy, I guess, if I needed it, which I really don't, but maybe I do. But uh, it was just a form of a way for me to keep in touch. I traveled the world a lot, but now I don't travel so much. And I believe, you know, in this day, it's in this day and age, especially we look at uh, Asia's fifty best bars and stuff. You got to have that engagement with people, which um, 
I, I've never been one to engage. My, my engagement has been based off of whatever goes on at 112 Amoy Street over here in Singapore. Uh-huh, it's been about uh-huh. what goes on in the bar. Uh, I've never been one to be on the campaign trail or anything like that, but um, I appreciate being on such a list. Um, but, you know, we dropped 18 spots this year. Uh, that's oh, big. have you? Yes. Mm. And I, had, I don't know why. And I'm not upset about it, but I don't want to... Uh, it's never good to go backwards, I think. And it's a good, it's a good message to, to, the, to the bartenders on my team to just uh, not be discouraged and to, and, to, and to keep moving forward. The same, the same team doing the same thing, night in, night out, crushing it. So it's like I try to tell them. But I, I, I can see in their eyes that uh, it means a lot to them. So I, I want to I engage uh, the people a little bit more. I think I could do a little bit more. I really do. And it's, it doesn't take much. It's, I'm not like an asshole or anything. Except for that one guy with the martini, <laughs> but um, <laughs> Jesus, <man>. but uh, <laughs> you know, but I, I just a little bit more um, being open. I guess a little bit more it could be a good thing in this day and age, and it'll help my younger bartenders to achieve what I did when I was a younger bartender. I got out and m- met people, so I don't want to shut them off from society. Of course, work is the is the most important thing. You know, don't let any of this travel, this rock star life affect your work. You gotta go travel, represent your company, represent your brand, make a name for yourself, but don't come back home and shit to bed, you know? You oh, gotta be team-oriented and ready to rock, you know? And that's what I'm working on. Um, and, and the kids have been doing a great job. I, my head bartender, bar manager, Jawe, is, uh, I got so lucky with him, and uh, the bar is in such good hands, and he's, um, he actually helped, I hired him as a consultant for the Odd Couple to set up my oh, bar. Really? Yeah, I hired him to set up the bar. I'm like, you know the way I like it, let's do it. So I wanted to test him. Um, Paid him as a consultant. One afternoon, uh, set the bar up. I went behind the bar to check it out while he did pouring drills with the staff. Perfect. And uh, color-coded, uh, you know, organized. Uh, and uh, he's a really, really, really good number one here in Singapore. Uh, place wouldn't be open without him and without Michelle and everybody else. So, But, you know, I also think that you know, into, and you probably know this better than I do, because if you look at lists, uh, like all places, like even employees only in New York, you know, the, these things fluctuate because, you know, there are trends involved and people, you know, they move to from one place to the other because this is new. But then yeah. this doesn't mean that the product is not there. You know, it yeah. means that, you know, the industry has just moved the attention towards something else. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, yeah, I just uh, there's a lot of bars where um, if someone leaves, the bar is never seen again on, the, on any kind of list. That's you know? also true. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I don't want to create that bar. I want, I want to leave and I want it to get better. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> I want to leave a lasting legacy. And, absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah, of course. But it also means that you've got the business that is scalable, right? So you can open it yep. and then you know, that, okay, I'm good at doing this because yeah. I've opened something that functions without me. If, if you create something that it's tied to you as a person, you, you can never develop yeah. a business, right? Yeah. No, you're right, 100%. And uh, I feel the same way. And... Uh, Again, these are all just added extra kind of cool things. And just, it, I feel it's very important, especially in this market, to set some goals for the team, you know? Set some goals um, for the team to grow, you know? Uh, let's, let's make sure we're, we're, we're on that list again. Let's make sure that we're, uh, we're, we keep doing what we're doing. And uh, let's open our doors just a little bit more. And uh, let's show some people what we do because, man, I'll tell you, the level of, of how these kids work, and the the growth that they had and the changes that they've made, I've never seen anything like it in this region. Uh, I go around and and for better or worse, employees only is different, and and that is exactly what employees only in New York is. So I could sit here and say, 
I did exactly what I set out to do. I wanted to create a different bar, and that's exactly what we are, for better or worse. <laughs> that's good. Though. Congratulations on that. It's a Thank su- you. super difficult achievement. Thank you. It was amazing talking to you, Steve. Eh? Thank yeah. you so much for finding the time to coming over. Absolutely. Jeez, uh, it just started raining. Yeah. And, and, hard as well. and it must be around, you know, 5:30. Yeah. yeah Rain o'clock. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Thank you, Maestro. Brother, thank you. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Steve. We are unjiggered underscore media on Instagram, and you can follow our accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele, Alex J. Murphy for myself, and Adrian Bessa for Adrian. Thank you for listening.